Welcome to another episode of our wonderful podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to one of our amazing product designers who has a full spectrum of digital design experiences. With a broad background in motion design, 3D arts, and technology, Marlon Taco has has had almost a decade of experience working in the creative fields. He has worked on projects from conception all the way to execution, collaborating with product teams in creating beautiful designs, animation, micro interactions, and motion graphics for web and mobile applications, also promotional videos and augmented reality apps. How cool is that? Marland is also passionate about bringing to the users the best solution, believes that good design requires no explanation, And as a true Wanderito, he loves to travel and explore coffee shops. But most importantly, he loves a great pizza. Welcome, Marlon. How's it going? Hey, Jeannie. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for the pizza. I really appreciate that. I I think it's a very remarkable feature that should be put in there. (laughs) Yeah, so what's your favorite pizza topping? Oh, that's a very hard question. I, if I'm in doubt, I always go with a margarita. If the margarita is good, then all the others are really good. Uh, okay, good choice. I always go for Hawaiian and I always get, you know, crap about picking Hawaiian as my favorite. <laughs> People are like, that's not a topping. You can't put pineapple. You can't put fruits on a pizza. (laughs) So we're going to start off with a quick round of rapid fire questions. These are meant to go by really quick, just so that the audience gets to know you a little bit better. Marlon, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Tirana, Albania. In Albania. And where are you now? I'm in Austin, Texas. Must be quite different from Albania. Oh, it is. <laughs> you have no idea. What's a book that you think everyone should read? Um, Who Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? Yes. <laughs> what is that book about? That title is amazing. Uh, well, it's quite old, actually, and kind of talks about how you should embrace change. So like moving from Albania to Texas? <laughs> you can say so. What's the biggest takeaway that you had from that book well the the idea that if things change in your life you should be able to to adapt uh what's one app you cannot live without uh google maps or apple maps either way maps okay so you're not a fan of like those folding maps or printing out a map paper (laughs) i did use those before but thank god technology now yeah the the next generation will never know the pain of having to Hold the map in the right direction. <laughs> yes. And, and I usually ask people, for example, do you know how to read the map? Of course I know how to read the map. Then point north to me. Nobody knows. I don't think I can either. Not not with Google Maps. <laughs> what do you think is the best invention of all time? I would say the internet. Um, I might be biased here because I was born in the age of internet, but I would say the internet. Yeah. Our last guest, uh, Gio, also mentioned that the internet is the best invention of all time. See? What's your all-time favorite? accomplishment i have to say that after three years of trying very hard i now can say proudly that i know how to make proper pizza oh okay so you make your own pizza yes 
Margarita? All types. I can also put pineapple if you want. Okay, yes, I would love some pineapple and ham on my pizza. (laughs) And what's the biggest challenge you're working on now? Uh, Right now, I'm designing an application with completely two different user bases and user cases that will be using a single application. So I have to make sure that every user's need is included in there. I'd love for you to elaborate more on um, how do you design when there are two very different user personas under the same application. So walk me through that a little bit. So I guess that the first step would be that we have to gather all of this information about each of these users. So we need to understand what their needs are. We have user number one, it has, let's say, this kind of needs, and user number two, it has this kind of needs. And then what we do is that we go into... um, long days of ideation where we try to figure out where each of these needs cross over with each other, trying to figure out, let's say, the proper information architecture, uh, and if we can fit them in one place or the other. And I guess that before going into design, uh, the biggest part is user flows where we just sketch out things and, and have the information architecture in place and and we talk with developers if all of our ideas really fit in uh, what we imagine doing really is possible. And I guess the design is at the really end. So preparation is is a very big part of it. One of the things that the last guest, Gio, and I were talking about is the importance of user research and how a lot of our, our leads will come to us wanting to get into a design process without really understanding users um, or doing any kind of research. Uh, and to me, that's it's so mind-boggling, especially when it's a larger um, developed company um, that's wanting to do design work without doing any kind of user research. So practically, that's just guesswork. It is guesswork, exactly. I, I'd love to hear how what your approach is to user research, especially if we have a client who's like, hey, I only have budget to do two weeks of research and that's it. Yeah, I I will take whatever. I mean, research needs to be in there. (laughs) They might have, let's say, budget for two weeks, then we would make the most out of it, but it's still much better than not having at all. Uh, Because we're never sure in the end if we are actually making the right choices for the user. you said before in my introduction that I've been working in all of these industries. Um, not UX is my current one, but in the other ones, we don't have research because that's the type of industry that you're working in. But the UX designer, this is where it differs. Uh, I need that data or else I don't know what decisions to make. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the word user is in user experience. So that should emphasize how important it is to talk to users and gather as much data as possible. Um, now, some of our audience members are, are going to be product managers and product designers themselves. So walk me through how you gather information about the users that you use in your design process. Sure. Uh, I guess that the first one is interviews. I mean, it could be either way. It could either be interviews or we send out surveys. Depends. Um, If we are, let's say, uh, designing for an external user, then we would interview users outside. Uh, We can do five. Ten is a lot, maybe. 
Um, in my case, where I have uh, two different user cases, we have internal and external. Uh, we are interviewing internal users. It might be only one or two. In the external case, maybe a little bit more. But user testing certainly needs to be there, or else uh, it's very hard to validate if we did the right thing in the end. Yeah. And what's your advice for a company or a designer that is uh, just starting their user research uh, phase of their build? I guess that the, a big part is to try to create empathy with the user out there. This is why we have user research and try to understand where the pain points are, what we can actually do to, to fix that. How do we make it pleasant? So if we have that in mind, then we can drive forward the, the other parts of the design process. So how do you balance between having empathy and qualitative data versus gathering quantitative data from your users? I mean, we have an hypothesis in the beginning. It's not like we go blindly and do research. Um, we create an hypothesis where we try to guess what the user needs and we try to verify that. So we kind of, when we gather data and we see that enough data uh, backs up our hypothesis, then I say that we are done. But if we are not very, let's say, convinced with the first three user research and we want more information, then we dig more. But if we see a pattern in the data that, for example, we gather, then that's it. Yeah, I heard from, um, I, or I read on an article written by Norman Nielsen that uh, the ideal number of user interviews you want to do is between three to five. And anything beyond that, you're going to end up getting the same results as those three to five um, users. So tell me why being data-driven is so important. Have you ever heard about full story? No, I, uh, the, the application. Yeah, right. right? The, the one that we integrate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the funniest things that I always like to see is rage clicking. I haven't heard that before. What is rage clicking? Well, it's practically when users get very, uh, <laughs> they get very frustrated with um, an interface that they start clicking everywhere, or they might mistake, for example, a button somewhere and they start clicking continuously. They're trying to go somewhere. This is data that we gather, right, from full story. It is very funny, actually, and if you go online, and check there, there's a full list of tweets from Full Story itself about how funny it is uh, with all of these rage clicking stories that they, they have gotten. Uh, my point is that without having this, we wouldn't know that users will be trying to click somewhere, even though it's very strange sometimes. For example, they mistake an area for a button. Uh, if we know that, they mistake it for a button that will try to figure out what's wrong, what's going on there. I remember reading a story about Expedia and how they approach this. Um, they have a research uh, team and, of course, a design team. And the research team and design team work together trying to figure out, I guess, every year um, testing out the current website. And if you go online, you know, at Dribbble or all of these other sites, you see that many times users, what they try to do is 
try to redesign these pages and show you how it might look like. But one funny side of the story is that actually Expedia goes and checks them out too. So they go into the size and they get... It's free yeah, yeah, I thought so too, but actually that's smarter from them because they test out their side versus what it should be like. And then they always... Uh, their current design always performs much better than what it should be like. Oh, that's interesting. Not very surprising because me as a designer, I have absolutely no idea what the user wants because I don't work at Expedia. So I'm just doing uh, my guesswork, let's say, whereas they know very well what they need. It's almost like the designer is putting themselves in the shoes of a user, but they're one single user versus the millions of users that they have that actually share data on what they want on the website. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many companies being pitched um, and popping up left and right because they think they can build the better version of Uber or Airbnb because there's like, you know, one feature that they don't like on the website um, or the application. And they're like, oh, but we're going to do it better because it's going to be like this and it's going to be like different than how these big companies already have it without knowing that these large companies already have millions of dollars worth of research already done on the users and what they want. So it's, it's kind of interesting that I, I've, I've seen that popping up left and right. Yep, it's very common, actually. So you've mentioned, so you have worked with so many mediums of digital designs. Um, I'd love to hear how you ended up becoming a user experience designer and why you're in the field. I think I got attracted to UX design a long time ago. We didn't have a term UX design at the time. I don't even remember having something like Figma or XD. We just used Photoshop, really. Photoshop days, yes. <laughs> I'm a designer of Photoshop days. <laughs> Very old. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's so old. Things that would take like a week to do on Photoshop now only takes like a day or even an hour. I, I wish I had the <laughs> the exact same tools, but no, no. You had to move pixel per pixel with your keyboard. It was very hard. And, I, yeah. and hope to God your Photoshop doesn't crash as you're exporting. <laughs> oh, I remember having those troubles. Uh, you know, we had Photoshop, Final Design 1, Final Design 2, Backup 3. It was like a full list of everything. Yeah, final, final um, design, final underscore, final design. <laughs> <laughs> but but that was the first time that I started actually designing some applications, but it was so early. I had absolutely no idea, but it was really interesting. And then one thing led to another, and I wanted really wanted to try it out. So I ended up doing a boot camp just to see if it was something that fit me. And actually, it was very interesting. And I have to say that it's much more than design. Um, it's the best of two worlds. I like to be very analytical sometimes and seeing in the end how the user's experience is much better brought me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, I, I love that. And what you mentioned is being a UX designer, you do become analytical and you play so many different roles 
And one of the misconceptions that people have about being a UX designer is that they think it's all creative work, right? Oh, you're just designing beautiful applications and you're moving pixels, but it's so much more than that. So I'd love to hear, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear, what is a day in a life of a UX designer like? Okay, it starts with meetings first thing in the morning, <laughs> trying to define, you know, we have a stand-up, trying to define what we have for the day. And depending on what we have to do, there's always a sort of a process. I'm not saying it's always the same. Uh, it depends. Things change. Situations are different. But most of the times, it starts with ideation, then designing and testing and reviewing with the team, and then testing again, and then going back at the initial one, trying to improve it, and then getting the final sign-off in the end. In my case, I work, for example, in two-week sprints. So this is like a full two-week cycle of everything. Gotcha. You forgot to mention you're also kind of playing the role of a therapist, oh. at least in yes. my case. <laughs> at least in my case, when I was designing, you know, you're hearing all sorts of stories from the clients that you work with and uh, sometimes they don't get the investment that they want from their uh, investors. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you play a therapist role too as a designer, right? Uh, but by the end of the project, we're buddies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so by the end of the project, um, what are some of the, the, the biggest takeaways or lessons that you've learned? And feel free to share any stories with us. In the beginning, I didn't used to do this. Um, I didn't used to do a retrospective of the project. That would be my advice to everybody. Like when you finish a project, do a retrospective with your team and try to figure out, you know, what went well, what went wrong, uh, what we can improve and do also a personal retrospective. To me, it has been very, very useful and it has helped me a lot to grow, trying to see where I was wrong. I think it's one of the most overlooked things that add so much value to any team, not just design team, but just any team across board. Because what you're doing is you're reflecting back, as you said, on what went right and what could have improved and also being able to transfer that knowledge to other members of your team in the, in the company. So uh, definitely high value there for anyone who's looking to do a retrospective. Um, so in the other industries that you've worked with, uh, do you think those skills that you've learned are transferable to what you're doing uh, in UX now? The other day I, I was researching some things and something came up and it was really interesting. Um, it said that out of 1,000 interviews, only 10% of, of the applicants uh, had something in common in their previous experience. So 90% had, had nothing in common with UX design. And that shows you the variety of people actually working in UX design and the variety of experience that they have. And that is very fascinating, actually. Um, I do think that having design is a good thing, but it's not a given. You don't really need it if you're really good and you want to you know, move forward. But the nice thing about it is that the currency that I work with has um, amazing backgrounds, marketing, uh, developer, <laughs> finance, anything. And when we are stuck on finding a solution, it's so nice to hear a different perspective. 
somebody from marketing can can give you an idea that you never thought about. And somebody else as a developer has a completely different approach to a solution, which I think is very refreshing sometimes. Yeah, and and that just adds so much more depth to the project and team dynamic that that you have. And so how does working with so many different types of mediums help you as a designer? Let's say that I have a project which deals with voice recognition. Um, having worked as a video editor and also sometimes very basic um, audio editing might give me some small edge when it comes to solutions. Because I might, let's say, have a deeper discussion with a client or with their developers as to how to approach um, a certain feature. Or another case might be that I might have seen and use as an inspiration something that I've seen from another software in order to come up with a solution for, let's say, an application that we're working on. So it's all the experience that you gather using all of this. Yeah, and if we talk about the future of where user experience is going, it's not just the pixels that we're seeing on our mobile apps or in front of our computer, but it's evolving more than that, right? Where we have audio, we've also got um, we've also got cars, for instance. What would you say? Like, where is UX evolving to? I mean, it's going there. Uh, you said it yourself. Like voice recognition. I mean, it's very early, and. I read that they're trying to integrate that, for example, into yeah. car experience. Uh, because, you know, when driving, one of the downsides that we have right now with all of this technology is that uh, driving should be driving, uh, meaning your attention should be on the road and not on the flashy gadgets and big screens that we have right now. Maybe for the passengers is fine, but for now we have to keep our attention on the road. And they're trying to integrate these voice technologies into cars so that you do less with your hands and more with your voice. You know, the last 10 years as a designer, you're focused so much on what's on our phone. You know, how do you take what used to be on the computer screen to then mobile responsiveness was the, was the buzzword of the last decade. But now, at least the way that I see it, as a designer, you're going to have to start training yourself on designing for different screens, right? Like you have cars that are going to have these ginormous dashboards uh, in in the interior. Um, and it's not, I'm sorry, it's not even screens. It's a different experience altogether because you're interacting with much more than just a screen. You have the road, you have exactly. a lot of other things. Um it all started way back, you know, Tesla was, I think, the first one that um, kind of changed everything that was in the dashboard. And not, right now we have this big screen right in the middle. And it was very successful. A lot of users really liked it. I mean, when asked, like 80% said it was amazing. But uh, there's a problem with that. Too much attention is drawn to the screen. You have to do all of these interactions. And another interesting thing is that sometimes you're trying to press a button, for example, on the screen and you're missing it because it's not the same thing as having, you know, real hardware to interact with. Yeah. And uh, 
uh, speaking of distractions, like it's kind of amazing when you go into a Tesla and they have those like games that you can play with your steering wheel. And it's just like, wow, like, I, I don't know. I, it's amazing. But all this, at the same time, you're just like, is that really necessary? <laughs> I don't know if they removed it or not. I, I read some time ago that they did. But the thing is that, uh, I mean, if we're talking about the car industry, uh, and that is, of course, the future that we are moving towards, um, there is a lot of ifs. Uh, nobody really knows where is, where is it going, but it's moving towards merging, let's say, the physical with the digital. Um, users, are, users are continuously trying to, let's say, have the same features that we have in our smartphones in our cars. So I don't know if you recently saw um, during CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, BMW actually released a car or they were demoing a car where users can change the color of their exterior from their mobile application. So if you think about that and where the future of cars are going, like you have the entire exterior of a car as your screen. And that's just mind-blowing to think about. Have you ever tried going into a self-driving car? Because yeah, I, I haven't. I, I, I actually, I just recently went into the first self-driving car uh, when I was at CES this year. So I ordered a Lyft and... Um, on the on the Lyft app, it says you'll be picked up by a self-driving car. I got really excited, but there were they ended up it ended up being a car with two people in the front seats, uh, only because they were testing out the they were still in beta for it. But uh, I mean, I thought it was kind of cool saying that I'm getting picked up by a self-driving car. Yeah, I mean, if we're moving to towards that technology and it's very solid, then what happens to the user experience in the car? I don't think we're gonna have the same one. I mean, are we talking about watching movies while we go to work or while we pick up a taxi or what else? Do we link our Spotify accounts to the car and have our playlist playing there? I mean, it could be endless yeah. possibilities. And it could all be done by voice command too. Exactly. You are in the passenger seat, like always. I mean, either voice, either a screen, either even gesture. Yes. Because that's also part of, of the future. Uh, depends. I think that the first one that is going to be able to implement it successfully, everybody else is going to follow through and, and try to do better and yeah. better and better. And just going back to being a designer, how does a new designer prepare for all of that, for having different screens, different um, motion detecting, uh, or just different interactions that are outside of the screens? <laughs> I feel sorry for the first ones because they will be the ones that are going to, let's say, do the majority of work. And then the other parts that are going to come after them are going to learn from them. But it, it is a tough job in the sense that you would really have to understand the technology. And I cannot imagine the amount of testing that you need to do, uh, actually, to, to come up with a very good way of how to interact with it. Um, Google, for example, uh, has this very exciting new technology called Rolly, and they have completely reinvented how gestures work. It's not with a camera anymore. They're using some form of uh, radio waves. I, I don't know. Very difficult to understand. But 
the gestures have become much more, let's say, accessible to us as designers right now. Uh, they had this case, for example, they have a, a Google Watch um, that has no buttons at all. It's all in gestures. And, and you do, for example, something like this with your hand somewhere and you adjust the volume and you do this like you're scrolling in the air and you're moving the map and it's very accurate. So I think this is amazing. Wow, but I can't imagine how to implement that is, it. That is so mind-blowing to think about like, your slight hand movement is controlling the the application on a watch. That is absolutely amazing. And, and, and not only that, the other part was that up to two or three people could interact with the same gadget and that knew which was, I mean, you could tell the difference between people without using a camera. Like, okay, how do they do it? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And like as a designer, like those are things that you also have to think about too, right? Or as a future designer, because for instance, with with the iPhone when it first came out, that's the first time we that's the first time the world ever got to interact the pinch in, pinch out motion. That never really existed anywhere else, right? Like nobody, no one was using pinch and pinch out. So how do you even come up with that, right? So those are things that as a as a new generation of designers, you're going to have to start thinking about. It's no longer pixels and what you see on screens, but the motion and what's on your watch and how to move your hand gesture. And I don't know, I, I, I love that. I get really excited about just thinking about those possibilities. It could be deeply linked with what you are designing. This is why it's so fascinating. Uh, I don't know how the pinch in, pinch out came. And it's correct. I mean, we didn't have that. Uh, but it became an industry standard. Now, every time you're trying to zoom in, what do you do? You try to use your pinch movement, right? Because it became a standard. And if you design an application that maybe you think, okay, moving the wrist like this, changes something into the app and it makes sense that maybe might become the standard someday. Yeah. And, and how do you even test for that too, right? With with software, you can hop on a, a Zoom call with a meet, uh, you can hop on a Zoom call with a user and see how they're interacting with a, with a website or a mobile app. But then, you know, now you have a, a, a different way of testing. Um, like, does this twist arm twist left and right is that a natural motion for a user on on their watch i don't know yeah yeah true i guess in in this case you would have to do in person testing since we're talking about motion sensing and maybe they do come up with an app in the future where we can record uh, what's going on but it requires a lot of user testing um, so let's move on to another topic. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the clients you've worked with and what your creative process has been. First, I have to say that client needs and user needs are something completely different. And in my experience, this is one of those topics where you really have to come together with the client and try to understand how to, let's say, work together on this one. Because what happens is that you have a brief from a client and then you do some user testing and some user interviews and you find out that the results are some might happen that are completely different from what the client really thinks 
about their application or, or their needs. So what do you do with that? And I was in a certain situation before, and I remember that we did our design, we did our testing, it went really well. And then we were in a meeting, we had our goals, the client had his goals, marketing had their goals, and they weren't aligning. And we were like in a Mexican standoff, looking at each other, <laughs> like, okay, so who should go first? <laughs> who is right in this relationship? So I would try to avoid that, but trying to incorporate uh, all of this together. It's not easy, but we do have the tools as UX designers uh, to try to explain and educate, let's say, the clients uh, on why we did these decisions. So if they're okay with that, then we're happy and we move forward. So how do you... Walk me through a little bit more about those tools and techniques that you use to uh, ensure that, you know, as a designer, you don't have those Mexican standoff moments with your clients. Well, we set up this process and the first thing and the most uh, effective is trying to back up your designs with data, like we talked about it try to explain to, let's say, to the client, well, you wanted this outcome out of a redesign, let's say, and adding a new future, uh, feature, sorry. Um, and we did our testing and we took this decision because our your users, um, let's say, reacted this way and I, as a designer, redesigned that to accommodate the user's need. But I also believe that, let's say, this uh, new redesign is going to benefit you in your goal, like such and such. So trying to articulate, let's say, a story uh, on why this is effective. Yeah. So going back to, you know, day in the life of a designer, now you're, you know, also having to become a great presenter and communicator. And that's so important. Definitely. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. I mean, you could have a really good design, but you might not like it, but in the end you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. You have to go out there and explain. Yeah. And I would say like, um, you know, as a designer, if you want to stick to just the design and the moving pixel, it's almost better to become niche in, in being a visual designer versus a UX designer. Because as a UX designer, you have to do so much. Like you have to communicate, you have to uh, bring in data, you have to as you said, become an analytical thinker. It's true. It's true. It's much more than just that. Or else you get stripped down of all of this and you become something that I don't like, which is just a designer that takes, let's say, uh, orders and uh, designs without all of these tools. Uh, and just for kicks, what's been the most challenging project or client you've ever worked with oh that's hard uh, we've all had horror stories <laughs> so share with us yours <laughs> <laughs> well uh, I, i've been in a project where i've been the, the i've been a single designer and i didn't have nothing of these tools so it was so hard because even the culture at the company was not 
product design driven. It was something completely different. So it was so hard trying to, let's say, um, to change the culture uh, of the company and trying to explain to them. But you see, the value of a UX designer is because of all of these things and nobody gets it because they have never worked before with a UX designer. So that was particularly challenging. Oh yeah, I, I know those. I know that feeling where, I, yeah, a lot of times what I've seen is companies know that they have to have UX because it's become this big buzzword and all the big startups are incorporating user experience, but they don't necessarily know what that means and how to invest into good UX. They just they hear UX is important, so therefore they need to do it, but. They don't know how to incorporate that into their culture, into their work process. So it might become very difficult for a solo UX designer joining a team like that. <laughs> no help at all. <laughs> no help at all. Yeah. So actually, I'd love to hear. Um, so yeah, actually, what would be your best advice for a UX designer who's the only UX person in a startup company? Yeah, don't try to change everything at once because it's going to be very difficult but try to gain everybody's trust little by little and once they trust you then they will hear you out and your ideas on how to to change for the better let's say but not in the beginning it's going to be hard oh i love that advice yes change by change in increments and you got to have buy-ins with stakeholders yeah we're coming up on time. Marlon, what else would you like to share with our audience? If you are an UX designer like me and you really love it, then always try to do what's best for the user. Uh, I really hate it when I see dark UX. I don't know if you ever heard the term. Yeah. But I'm not going to name the company or whatever, but I'm, I was trying to unsubscribe from this service. And it was literally like this, like you are un unsubscribing. Yes, yes. And then I got to another screen. Do you want to unsub unsubscribe? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Then I go to a third screen asking the same question, but wait, the unsubscription button is not there anymore. It was hidden in the footer. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I understand that uh, they're trying to use, let's say, UX powers to get the user to stay uh, as much as, as we can, but this is wrong. So uh, I'm not, I'm against this. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like marketing versus user experience, right? So you have one team customer success slash marketing team who emphasizes so much on acquiring users and like retaining those users versus user experience designers who they just want to, they're on, they're on the user's team. Like they want what's best for the users. So it's that internal team struggle. Yeah. But yeah, it's so frustrating when you have unsubscribe. I can't even imagine having to try to unsubscribe three times. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> you don't want to share the name of the company so that we don't no, subscribe no. to it? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Marlon, so much for your time with us. And if uh, people want to learn a little bit more about what you do, do you have a social media link that you can share with us? 
Well, my only one is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not such a great social media guy, I have to say. I've been, I haven't been using Facebook for a long time or Instagram very rarely, so it's only LinkedIn. Okay, well, you guys can connect with Marlon um, at Marlon Taco, T-A-K-O. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day.